To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Uh, I got a brand new podcast for you. So this week I have back on Scott Reekers. So Scott Reekers works over there at Eastman's, and he's a really good buddy of mine. And I I talk to Scott all the time, but a lot of times we're talking business. Where he's my partner on the podcast, and so you know we're talking guests and we're talking releases and and talking the future of the podcast. It's it's not too often where we get to sit down and talk about an hour all about hunting. And and Scott's a heck of a hunter. Uh, he loves to backpack hunt. And this year he used stock. He used some llamas, which is super interesting. In fact, I I, I want to get him back on with Ike and kind of talk over, you know, using these llamas and they rented them. And it, it's just a wild story. But on this episode, we just talk about a, his hunt. We talk about uh, mule deer hunting the high country. We talk about elk. And of course, they're there's tidbits of information and tips and tactics mixed throughout, but it's just a great conversation. Scott's a heck of a hunter, and, and he harvested a heck of a mule deer this year. And it's also really fun to hear uh, the the partnership or cohesiveness between the the staff there at Eastman. So um, he teamed up with, with Ike on his mule deer hunt, and like I say, he really dedicated himself this year to, to killing a, a big, mature Wyoming backcountry buck. And and so it's fun to kind of hear the scouting and then to hear the dynamic of how that hunt went down with him and Ike. And, and then also to hear the dynamic between him and Brandon on that elk hunt. Um, so that's really fun to listen into. Um, just a great episode, and thanks to Scott for being on. Uh, sponsor for today's show is Taito Knives. Taito Knives... Man, they're just a game changer when it comes to processing game. I used to have to carry multiple knives and sharpeners and trying to, to butcher an elk in the field. Their hide is so thick and it dulls a knife so quick. But the Taito knife is a replaceable blade, ultra sharp, ultra lightweight knife. And, and uh, it, it's just it's crazy. It doesn't uh, take up much room or much weight in your pack. But just having those razor-sharp, interchangeable blades on them that you can cut through hide and even pro- – I process an entire elk with one Taito knife. And that's everything. That's pulling the quarters off, tenderloins, back straps, rib meat, neck meat, and then also taking the head off. I take that off with a Taito knife. I can um, you know, cut joints and break joints on the leg muscles. Like say if I kill a deer and I'm within a mile from the truck, I won't bone it out. I'll pack meat on bone. Um and, and and for that, gosh, it's just so easy to break that lower part of that leg off. It, it's using a sharp knife is safer. Like you would think it 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 it'd be more dangerous, and you do have to be careful with an ultra sharp knife. But it's it's absolutely safer. You never have to force your cuts. You never have to put too much pressure. And when you put pressure, it is when you slip and when something can happen. But you just use that that ultra sharp edge of that razor sharp knife, and you're just able to cut anything off you need to cut off. It's just absolutely amazing and a, a game changer for me. So thanks to Taito Knives for sponsoring the podcast and, and putting out a great product. Uh, I couldn't hunt without it. So thanks to those guys. 
And uh, over there at Eastman's, gosh, I don't know what's going on over there. Uh, I've, it's just a blur for me right now. I'm so busy right now trying to finish up this house and with construction work and record podcasts and get them out. Um, but but I know the guys have done great over there this season. We got some more late hunts coming up, and um, you know I've got the the hunt that I look forward to the last couple years with my oldest daughter. We're gonna do that adventure hunt where we're gonna go for the weekend, and and uh, she's got a mule deer tag, and so we'll we'll see if we can sneak up on a big old muley with her so i'm really looking forward to that i got uh my cousin and my uncle coming out hunting and um i think i'm gonna have to send my dad with him at the beginning part of the hunt but then i'll catch up with him on the end there and and uh hunt with those guys and then looking forward to continuing having my bow out and and uh chasing some muleys around man i just got that thing dialed in you know a, a little break from the hunting here and able to to uh just fine-tune everything um I talked about that that rest deal I had on that Kip Fowler podcast. So I have done so much research on rest. I know more about rest than I could ever dream about. And I was pretty knowledgeable before. But um, so I just got the the best brand new rest on there, and then um, just just totally dope from um, start to finish. I've I've tore this thing down, retuned and retimed my bow from from the very beginning. Complete confidence in it. That thing is just shooting lights out, and uh, can completely trust it here for mule deer season so a couple more tags left i'm going to be a weekend warrior but i'll be going hard with every free day every free hour i have burning the midnight oil to get there and get back so i can't wait i'm just super stoked to take advantage of this november i love november hunting one of my favorite months um i've just kind of burned all my time and um you know it's just work schedule has kind of come down to it where i got to get this place done but um it's all going to work out and uh boy i'm going to enjoy myself with the days i do have so let's get this thing rolling this is a great conversation between me and scott reekers over there at eastman's eastman's elevated here we go Okay, I'm live here with Scott Reekers from Eastman. Scott, thanks for taking the time and being on. Hey, uh, I appreciate it. It's always fun. I enjoy I enjoy getting to talk hunting with you. And sometimes uh, we talk shop so much related to the podcast and business that this is the only time you and I actually really get to talk hunting. <laughs> it is, yeah. It is about the only authentic, authentic hunting talk that we get. And uh, about a half an hour late playing with Skype today, um, had a new update and then trying to get my Skype recorder to record. But we're online now and going. Well, technology is great when it works how you want it to. And that's always a... <laughs> iffy thing so it is you know, but that's that's how it goes so how is how has your season gone so far oh man it's just been great boy just a, a bunch of super adventures and and shared a bunch of hunts with family and friends and and it's not quite over yet but the definitely the brunt of season is over to where i need to get back and get some work done and uh get some podcasts recorded and kind of get back to real life here with family for a little while and start planning for the next one but man it's just been super um it's amazing. It seems like every season is different. Just the experiences you get and uh, even going back to some of the same places, uh, you know, weather conditions always change. It seems like the hunts are always different. I think that's what I really enjoy about them. Yeah, they change so much from year to year. Like, I I know I've said this before, but I'm a, I love hunting mule deer. Like, that's my favorite to go after. It's my favorite to scout. It's a you know, it's a product of where I live, you know, growing up. 
you know, it's get re- got really good mule deer hunting close. And so that's what a lot of people love to do and what they love to look at. Well, with, you know, growing up in that area, that's just kind of the thing. Well, last few years, three out of the last five years, and, and I'm not complaining. Let me be clear on that. I'm drawing a really good elk tag up here in this um this this i'll say yellowstone region so i've killed three pretty good bulls in that area but the timing for the archery hunt and then the timing for when opening day is october 1st that you know that's september 15th october 7th mule deer hunt kind of gets put on the back burner when you when you keep drawing tags so this year i walked into ike's office and told them that i want to really concentrate on hunting mule deer and so I applied for elk tags that were like 3%, 4% draw odds. So I more than likely would be going to um, going to go do my general deer hunt where I've had a lot of success in the past. So that was kind of my my mentality this year was go into it with, with that in mind. Oh, that's so funny. You got lucky and didn't draw your elk tag this year. <laughs> I know. Who says that? I mean, who in the right mind says that? But, you know, that's, a mule deer hunter. <laughs> well, a mule deer hunter. That's right. And yeah. so, it's, you know, you, you, just, you do it, you know. And so, but on the same end, like, I got to actually go with Brandon Mason and go along on his elk hunt. And um, I'll, I'll be candid and say I was actually – more excited for his elk than I think I was for my own a few years ago. Cause it was kind of a, he's, he's been a trooper and he's helped me on, um, three elk hunts the last, you know, last three times I've drawn this tag, he's been along. And then two of them, he helped me pack out. One of them, he actually lined up the horses for our pack out with, cause he had a buddy here and I was still making connections here in town. The other one, while we did our, epic death march that both of us have said we will never do something like that again and so getting to see him kill his bull that he did was his bull is just an absolute stud getting to see him do that i i was pretty jacked i i may be the most excited cameraman that's um, ever gone along on an elk hunt so man that's so cool scott like just being able to return the favor like that and hunting with buddies I mean, that's that's really what it's all about. That's what mm-hmm. makes the hunting world go round, uh, uh, being able to be with them and, and uh, help them achieve their goals and kind of pay back the favors that they've given you. And you don't yeah. really treat it that way, but you, you kind of just team up on the hunt and you're in it for him to try to kill his bull. But, man, that's so cool. That's what it's all about. Oh, it was fun. And I, you know, we definitely have to release this podcast after his release because I don't want to trump his story, but... Uh, he had spent a ton of time hunting with Todd, like almost a full week bow hunting with Todd. Then his buddy drove down from North Dakota to help him, and they almost got it done. He almost got it done, and he was there with Todd. And so I went for a three-day bow hunt with him, and we backpacked into a new area. And it wasn't a super long pack-in, but it was like 1,500 feet in elevation over um, – about two thirds of a mile before we got to our spot where we could ridge run a bit. So that was that was steep and fast up that hill. And we got that done and we saw three really good bulls in that area, plus a few raghorns. And then we went to another area that was easier to bow hunt or more conducive to bow hunt. Cause some of this country up here is just big. And he, um, 
he almost got it done twice with me. Is one of those we could see the elk twice moving through um, through the trees, you know, where you can see the brown legs going through, but you can't see headgear, you can't see vitals. We saw that twice, and we're under, you know, under 50 yards on both of them, which is for Brandon, as long as he's been shooting his bow, that's a chip shot, and just couldn't make it happen with the bow, and so. We went in the next week. We didn't get to go in for the opening day of rifle, which is sometimes that's actually a blessing because, you know, everybody wants to be there for opening day. You know, this preoccupation of being there on the first day is the most important thing. And we um, we get in the vehicle and I tell him, dude, you're going to kill your elk today. I just have this feeling. And he's like, you know, Hunter said the same thing. And I feel really good about today, too. And so we just, it was kind of one of those, I don't know how you, I don't want to call it a sixth sense because you never know for sure, you know, but it was one of those situations where we're both really pretty excited to be going out and we hike into the same area, but we kind of came from a different trailhead, found a much easier way than um, 1500 feet of elevation and three quarters of a mile. And we work our way up this ridge and we're going really slow, glassing all these little pockets. We're seeing elk sign, nothing super fresh, um, but we're still seeing a lot of elk sign. And we just stop at this point that was close to where he saw a real, a really good bull the week before. And we're, we're sitting there and we start hearing this bugle. And it's not that far away, but it's really hard to tell where it's at. But this bull that we're overlooking, we're on the edge of it, pulled back, overlooking a bunch of grassy areas where it looks like a prime time spot for elk just to come out. And we had about a thousand yards, you know, like 500 each direction above and below us that that was that was huntable. And we knew there were elk in the area. So it was just an ambush type situation. And we could hear this bull bugling, but he wasn't coming to us. And we had one patch of black timber and we both kind of looked at each other at the same time and said, Hey, I think we need to go to him. And so Brandon looked at his onyx and we could see there's actually, that timber is actually really broken up. We can get over there. We can hunt that. And we go over there and um, sneak our way through the trees, kind of glass a little bit. I'm trying to run the camera. So he, Brandon's having to do all the, um, all the sneaking type stuff. And so we're going through and don't bump any elk, um, which is a blessing that we didn't bump any elk going through that black timber. Cause that's always, that always creates a mess and didn't bump any and come around the ridge. And then there's, there's two cows in this tiny little opening. They kind of peg us, kind of don't. After we looked at them with binos, turned out it was a calf and a yearling. So now again, another blessing right there. They're not super wary. And we get behind this tree and there's only two spots where Brandon can shoot this bull. And so I just, I just set the camera up, set it up on the, um, on the tripod and I just let it roll. We sat there for 20 minutes waiting for this bull and the bull never really shows himself. He comes across and, and, um, like real quick. And I tell Brandon 315, 320. And so, like, it was a quick judge. I was way wrong. This bull's way bigger than 315, 320. <laughs> and so he, Brandon Brandon made a heck of a shot. Like, And 
the bull comes and he's, he starts, he's, he's tailing a cow, you know, trying to get her wind. And he gets up right behind this cow and she, he's slightly corded away. And Brandon just hammers her. Like he just hammers her and, or not her, man, that would have been terrible. Um, he hammers the bull and like, just, it, it doesn't drop, you know, your typical bull elk, just tough as nails. And so he hits the bull again. So it was, it was a dead man walking after that first shot. Then he turns around and Brandon hits him a third time. Then he goes down and it like, we couldn't see him go down. And he went into the, like, cause he went like past the second opening that we had. And so we're like, Oh no, he went into the ditch. We're going to have to go deep and find him. And this is going to be terrible. Cause we can't see we're in grizzly bear country. And so we're, we're super excited cause we know we hit him and killed him, but you know, we don't know exactly where he's at. And, and so we, we, you know, go over there a little quicker than we probably otherwise would. And sure enough, he's right on the edge of the clearing where he was standing and he's flipped over. And, you know, sometimes as a cameraman, you get lucky and you get to do the first look while the other person is waiting to come up. Cause you want to, you, know, you want to make sure you get the, the real reaction. You don't want it to be contrived. You want it, you want the excitement to show up. So I ran up there and got behind the bull and I couldn't help myself. I saw that it had an extra and it was a seven by six. And so just, uh, and he was a big bull and the, instead of ground shrinkage, the more you look at this bull, the bigger it gets. And it's really, it's really cool. And it was really cool to be a part of that. The only, the only thing we both kind of wish is that, that Todd could have been there with us because, you know, this is Todd uh, knew this area incredibly well. And he shortened the learning curve on this unit, like big time for Brandon. And so we both, you know, made several comments. Oh man, the only thing that would make this better is if Todd had been able to be with us for this. And it was really cool to see Brandon's, you know, reaction to this bull. It's far and away his best bull ever. You know, it's not even, you know, not even comparable. And he's, so he's just got this absolute stud of a bull. And, um, I, I think he's still on cloud nine too, you know, like he's, he's been around the office and every time we talk about it, he's still super excited, but now his son has a great tag that he gets to go and, um, you know, take his son on one of the best mule deer hunts in the state of Wyoming. So Brandon's season has been, um, already been really good because he killed a buck with an, or an antelope buck with his bow. Then he heads in, kills this really nice bull elk. And now he's heading out to take um, take his son on a fantastic deer hunt. So, you know, pretty cool season. That's just one person here in the Eastman's office. Oh, it's so great. Couldn't have happened to a better person, too. Brandon's just the yeah. the nicest, most considerate guy that would do anything for you. He'd give you the shirt <laughs> off his back at, at any place, any time. You know, so yeah. it couldn't have happened to a better person. And uh, him telling the story... It's the same way as he just expressed such gratitude for you going with him, for for Todd helping him learn the spot and, and shortening the learning curve. His his buddy from North Dakota driving eight hours to hunt a weekend down there. He's just so appreciative of of everybody's help, and uh, you, you can just tell he's just um he, he's such a good guy. And he's so excited about it and so excited to share it with you guys. But that is so cool. You you made a couple of good points there as you were telling the story 
that that optimism it carries such weight on a hunt like um you told him today's the day and and brandon said yeah hunter said the same thing he said today's the day and i feel it too that optimism that kills bulls like i we have a saying when we're fishing you know is that you always have to believe every cast you're going to catch that fish and mm -hmm. it's the same thing when you're hunting or you're going into to any area you have to believe in that area and hunt it wholeheartedly you have to believe it's going to be good hunting um if oh. you don't you you don't put forth the full effort or maybe you don't go over that next ridge or, you know, maybe you don't even go far enough to hear that bull bugle to where you find him and then kill him, you know, which yep. it, it, it's such a, a beautiful big ball too, boy, that, that six by seven, he's so heavy and dark horns and just a big mountain bull like you want to kill. But that optimism is so important on a hunt. It, it is. And, you know, like Brandon and I had a tough elk hunt last year. It was, first off the snow really made it tough it started snowing about september 14th and it didn't really stop until about the 24th 25th i was in our office making some secondary arrangements for horses to help pack us out and i talked to an outfitter that in and he's just one you know one unit or well two units north of where where we were hunting and he told me, he's like, Scott, I'm considering giving all my uh, mule deer hunters a refund uh, because there's so much snow up there that we're pretty sure all of them have migrated out already. Like he said, some of our guides called me and the snow was up to their hips in September. And, and so that made for conditions in our hunt where, you know, it was a tag that you, you can only hunt about half the unit and, it put all the elk in about one, you know, one or two, maybe three drainages. And so some of the migration may have been happening, but most of the elk were already out of where we could hunt. So it put all the people in the same area hunting the same animals. And that made for a terrible rifle opener. And then on top of that, I put an arrow right underneath a, you know, about a 310 bull and, you know, so that just makes it tough, you know, like it's a, that was a mental grind on that hunt. And by the end of it, we were not nearly as optimistic as we, um, as we had gone in there when Ike dropped us off. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you can't help it when you get beat down like that. So that 310 bull you shot under, that was probably like a 350 on your scale, right? <laughs> I, I try to be realistic you know, and I am notorious for under judging animals like Ike and I were looking at a, um, a mule deer buck and I said I, he's, I don't know he's like a 150 type buck like, I just, he just wasn't big and maybe I'm just used to wow factor or something I don't know and Ike looks through his box and goes you think that's a 150 that's a 165 at least you know, and I'm like, well, I guess that's a good problem because the two he was with are way bigger and I thought they're shooters. So, you know, maybe I just try to avoid ground shrinkage or something of that nature. So, yeah, it's better to underjudge than overjudge for sure. That way you're definitely not disappointed when yeah. you walk up. They grow when you walk up like Brandon's bull. But, um, yeah, it's it's so wild how that how the weather dictates to the hunt. And that year it was snow and heavy snowfall had moved them all out of there. But a lot of years, it's the moisture you get, what the feed's like up high. And, oh. and you have spots that are good year after year, but 
it it seems like it it's always changing. Even some drainages that you can always count on, you'll go back in there, and the conditions aren't similar to where it kind of changes, and and the yep. animals' behavior changes, and they're hanging in a a different part of the drainage or a different drainage altogether. But it, it's just so wild. That's where a guy just really needs to take good notes um, of all the conditions, and and then when you find those conditions, you can go back and try to recreate that. I started and and I've not been as good at this lately because I haven't been I, I haven't been using uh, a the DSLR as much and then B um, like I've been hunting a lot of the same areas and you know like almost exactly the same the same areas and a familiarity breeds success once you know an area and you know what's out of place once you can get rid of those you become more efficient at glassing a spot when you know what's a rock and what's a rock deer, you know, like, you know, we, you know, the stuff that's not going to confuse you and you, you know, when, you know, it's just, it's just something that kind of happens as you get to know an area. But one of the things I used to do when getting to know a new area is I took almost like grid type pictures of the area that I was scouting and then I would study how it looked before I went back in um, with an actual picture because um, Google Earth is deceptive. A, a picture that you've taken from a very specific point can look very different and show you the actual scale of an area. And even even like where, where your lines on the map, if they're stacked on top of each other, you know that area is cliffed out. But sometimes you can see some things on a, on a picture with some detail that you're just not going to be able to use with your tools. And so that's part of, you know, part of what I use for scouting. And it actually helped me quite a bit in a few uh, in a few of my hunts. Man, that's a really good tip, Scott. Yeah, because um, Google Earth, I feel like I can walk all over everything, yeah. <laughs> even the cliffs or even topography lines. I, I'm usually like, oh, I'll be to the top of that ridge and, and crest the backside of that, and I'll look at these five drainages, yep. and I end up hunting for five days and only covering two of those drainages. Like, it, it just shrinks down, or it grows so much when you get there, <laughs> and it's so shrunk down, like, on Google Earth and on topography maps. That's a really good point, Uh pictures of of the the vantage points and what you'll be looking at and where you'll be looking it 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 does it gives you a more a better perspective of what's going on you know where the the cover is and where the the cliff shoots are and and what you can navigate and what you can't i really like that i've taken a lot of pictures from a lot of different vantage points and and i can't say that i'm great at referring back to those before a hunt but i i think i'm gonna start doing that i think that's a really good point it, well, I wish I could act like it was something that I had learned on purpose, but I was trying to be Mr. Photographer and take good pictures, but then I realized I'd done it all online, and then I, then I started looking at, oh, bucks would hang out here, bucks would hang out here. Okay, bucks would hang out here. This is how I'd get to that. Oh, I'm scouting. You know, it, it was completely by accident, but it worked really well when I was looking at it on a big, you know, big Mac screen, and it's a fairly efficient way to look at country you know pretty well and then and then on top of that once you know it really well it's it makes you more efficient at it i'm i'm a pretty firm believer in hunting the same areas um repeatedly and i i don't remember which of mike's books or articles where he talked about it but he talked about how 
get to know a specific area. The more you know a specific area, the more likely you are to be successful in there. Now, if you never find a big buck in a specific area, you know, that might mean you're not looking in the, in bucky country, but if, you know, it, it's, it's the same. If you find a big bull in an area once or a big buck in an area once, there's a reason he was there, especially if it's not during the, um, during the, during their specific ruts, because they look for specific conditions and you can repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat. And maybe that's why there's a, a culture of secrecy around like your hunting spots that if, you know, those guys who are consistent killers, well, they're, they're consistent killers because they've found their spots and they know what the bucks and bulls are looking for. Well, and two, it's using that, that information to expand upon it too. Like you, you learn a drainage and where you like to hunt deer, but then once you find that drainage, you can kind of transpose that landscape into the next drainage over. Like I'm, I'm always looking to explore, but I'm also looking to use the knowledge that I've gained over the years. Yeah. And so like when I look at it, I go, okay, well now where can I go from this camp? Can I, can I go to over this, to this drainage I haven't looked at? Does that country look like this country that holds bucks, you know, or yeah. can I go two drainages over? What happens if I move my camp one more time? And so, you know, I'm constantly trying to learn more and gather more more information about an area as well as using the information that I've already gained. Well, and I will say this at when I lived closer to, um, to region G and region H, I wanted to have about five spots that were my mule deer spots. And my goal was to have enough time during the summer to scout all five. And, you know, I was I was going to build a rotation of how I scouted them and when I scouted them. And a lot of it was going to be in proximity to season and how close I was getting to season. Um, you know, and then with that, you know, I was going to pick which which was the buck that I wanted the most. Um, and then if, say, that buck got shot out from underneath me, which has happened before. Then I'd move on to the next one, or um, or look for because there's a couple different opening opening days for for rifle in in there as well. So you could um, look for your second rifle opener if you want, if you've got one that you know want, or an animal that is a quality animal that you want to get get there and and look over you know the day before or whatever. But that was my goal was to have five areas like that, but be as familiar with those five areas as possible. And then, then I'm never limited. Um, I, you know, and I think one, because of the way region G and H is, you're never super far from a road. I mean, there are some areas where, okay, you're a little ways in there. Um, but a lot of those places, you're never more than a, a few ridges from being able to get down to a road if you need to, especially region G, probably more than some of that, that wilderness area in H. But so that kind of created that mentality for me that, you know, you, you kind of just get used to the idea that you're going to see people and you just have to sometimes sit still. Like a lot of people in there will move and move a lot. So if you sit still, sometimes you'll find bucks. Like one of the biggest bucks that, I do, that I've ever shot at and missed, I found him at noon and he came out right on the edge of the timber and he, and he knew that nobody was in that area because they, they'd walk back out. You know, it was only uh, two and a half miles in where he was at and I was about three, you know, looking down on him 
and he knew everybody hiked back out because there were wall tents down at the bottom. And so it was just one of those, like, he came and ate at noon because he knew nobody was there. And I found him on the edge of the trees again at 445. And I missed my shot, unfortunately. Um, but that was, you know, lesson learned there. But that was my second choice area. Yeah. Well, and, and when I'm scouting, too, um, I'm, I'm the same way. I like to have multiple spots. I don't just count on one spot. Mm-hmm. I, I find bucks in a location, and I kind of scout those bucks, and I try to see what's living in there. And, and really, I'm covering country that time of year because really in, in July and August, those bucks are out quite a bit, and they yeah. just really have the, those alpine high country attitudes. they got those red coats on, and they're, they're feeding every couple hours. They're coming out, and they're easier to find. And so, yeah, I travel country, and then the next weekend, I don't go back to that same spot. I go into a different area, and then I go scout that area. And you're trying to find find you know maybe your biggest buck or the buck that you like the most and then that's going to be your first choice spot but then you have all these backup spots that you've scouted good bucks in too so you you always have a new area to go to um i really like doing it that way yeah and i you know i sound like a i sound like a resounding gong i've not done nearly as much uh, state travel you know just because wyoming Wyoming is a blessing in that I can I can do a lot of hunting every single year here in Wyoming. It's pretty easy for me to get an antelope, deer, and an elk tag, and then on top of that, I can do you know I can do meat hunts, um, you know, to fill that in. So my my out of state hunting isn't going to be necessarily as as big a deal as um, places where you know where guys in Colorado only draw a deer tag every third year. Well, if they want to hunt mule deer, they've got to figure out other places to hunt with more opportunity. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily live in that world, but I, you know, growing up there, it was easier for me to get up there and scout quite a bit, get to know an area. And then, you know, where you were talking about getting to know that top topography and knowing, okay, what's on the other side of that hill? Is it, is it going to be Bucky country? You know, I've got a, I've got one spot. Well, two of them that are, they're kind of similar, but their layout is different, but there's access to about six basins from one area. And so I, you know, I've got a name for each of them when I, when I talk about it with, you know, like Ike went in with me this year, we call one a specific name and then the other's another name, but they're, two areas where you've got access to a lot of country, but the familiarity with both of, with both of those regions allows me to, allows me to be very efficient with glassing and knowing what's in there, which is, which is a good thing. And, you know, I, I feel for, you know, guys that, you know, they're drawing these tags every few years. There's a real learning curve with that. Every single time you go in, you got to real, you know, if you're only getting to hunt some of these high country places every five years, you know, it, it takes you a while to learn some of it. And so putting a lot of scouting into it's important obviously, but it's, it's hard getting that learning curve, not being a resident. Oh, it's tough. Yeah. And, and, uh, Wyoming, you do have one of the best places in the world to go hunt high country mule deer. That that's one of my favorite places to go, you know, in any state, it's just built for mule deer, It's just built for the high country mule deer too. And I love 
how tight the drainages are. Like you say, you can access one spot and see six different drainages where, you know, Colorado sometimes all hike double digit miles just to go look at two giant drainages or one yeah. giant drainage, you know, and like in um, Montana here, we've got, you know, a little bit tighter drainages, but some of it's so cliffy and rocky that you can't look at a second basin or a third basin because you can't make it up that ridge or cross over. You got to come all the way out and back in. So Wyoming does lay out really good for a mule deer hunter to cover multiple drainages like that. And, and those are the spots that I look for is when you, when you have options, when you're just not hiking into one spot, looking at it, you have like those five or six drainages that you're talking about that all hold bucks and is all bucky country. And mm-hmm. then you can kind of work your way through it, glassing each one of them to see what's in there. Yeah. And I, <clears throat> I like being able to do that. My, here's a, I guess another weird thing. I like spots that don't have necessarily high densities of bucks. They look bucky, but they don't necessarily have high density of bucks. And the reason for that is a lower density of bucks usually means a lower density of competition. And, but what that also means is if there's, if there's lower competition for me, that usually means a bigger buck knows that. Like they and they return there year after year because they know they're not going to get the same amount of pressure that they would in other places. And it's I, I know that sounds like lots of guys like, oh man, I love seeing fifty, sixty bucks a weekend. But that's that's great. That's actually a, probably a great strategy. Um, but I'm I also know that if I want deer to behave like deer and not necessarily be timbered up after opening weekend, you know, you got to find them and you can't find deer that are going to be, you know, that are going to be hidden up. And sometimes in those high density areas after they've, there was in one high density area that I hunted one year opening morning, there were 14 rifle shots. And, and that's what I could just kind of hear close proximity. That wasn't even like, you know, it wasn't even like all of this particular mountain I was on. That was just close proximity. That's ridiculous. You know, and so all those bucks by by the you know by the sixteenth of September, all those bucks on that mountain, they were on their secondary ridges, and it takes a full week before they start acting like deer again and start coming out into the open. And you know, at that point those high density areas or high density population areas of bucks, you're, you're looking through most of the season where those deer just aren't going to show themselves. And so it's hard to hunt them. And I, I, and, and I say that knowing full well, there are guys who go into some of those higher population spots in, in my input in, in those places and they kill bucks every single year and they're good at finding them on the secondary ridges. I, I, I know that, but it's just a kind of a philosophy. Like I like to get away from people. And sometimes that means you're going to see fewer deer and just be a little more bored. But generally in those spots, I've found bigger deer. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, they've got to grow up five, six, seven years old to be those big bucks that we're searching for. And so an area that gets hunted less, uh, just makes sense that you're going to find, you know, those bigger, more mature deer in there. And I, I just find that these deer are really slick to live to be that five, six, seven years old. 
they they unlock some secrets to the country and to the hunting pressure that not everybody's tapped into. You yep. don't find them in the standard open basins, you know, where you might find them in July or August or maybe even during the bow season before they move down. But they're just slick. They find these spots that just don't get the pressure for whatever reason. And like yep. we hunted Wyoming this year for my dad's buck, and and uh, gosh, we saw some really nice bucks. We were on some good ones. But it was wild where these deer were living. You know, there was a, a a trail that went by the left-hand side, and then there was some basins to the right. And it laid out like you're talking like um, these giant alpen basins. But it was opening day, and there was guys that were hunting these basins. We saw a guy that killed a buck. We didn't hear a lot of gunshots, but we saw a handful of guys around. But there was this ridge that led down off the main ridge, and it went for – I'd say like three miles down, and then it it came to this knob, and there there's meadows on this knob that you could kind of glass fairly easily. Well, that's not where the where we'd find the bucks. The bucks were right on these these top features that were really tough to get eyes on, and then they were going into these these rock slides that were just covered with with uh, you know giant rocks and boulders that had slid down, and then you know, little slivers of timber in there, just a spot that nobody wants to go in and hunt. And that's exactly where we found these bucks bedded, and we found them bedding on the tops, and we were able to, to tap into their into their system, and there was mature bucks in there that were four, five, six years old, and they were, they were just hanging in these spots that were tough to glass, tough to access, and tough to get to, and guys were, were walking by them on the trails to go get to these other pristine alpen-looking basins. So... I just find yep. that these deer get really slick with the spots that they're living, and and that's the reason why they grow up and why there's mature bucks in there. But you you gotta you gotta kind of look for for the, the the unpopular spots, like you're saying, like the the rougher, more rugged country, lower population of bucks, mm-hmm. or you you look for a feature that's really tough to see or tough to glass. It doesn't lay out good, or you look for that country. It's really rugged. You can't get a horse into, yep. you know, that you've got to hike into in some extreme steep country. You just got to find this, this almost like this niche, and it's you find big bucks where you don't find the pressure, and so you got to kind of tap into that a little bit, I think. Yeah, and well, and then the next piece of, of that is when you find where they're not getting the pressure, how do you get a shot? That's the other half of the battle. Then you got to have the time to sit there and watch. And watch and watch and watch and wait for him to make a mistake. That's what Ike and I did this year. And I'll, I'll lay out, I may as well just lay out the whole story just so there's some perspective on it. You're going to get a kick out of this on a couple of these these spots, Brian. Uh, I I have to credit a, a, a pine grouse with helping me kill my mule deer. As <laughs> funny as that is, I don't remember if I've told you this story or not. Um, so... Ike and I made a decision, and without going into too much details, we decided to um, get some stock animals that we could that we could use to haul our stuff. Because I told Ike, "Hey, I want to focus on mule deer this year," and he's like, "Okay, cool." And I told him what I was doing. He's like, "Okay, I'll come with you." I'm like, "All right, let's go." And I was, you know, pretty excited about it. And he told me the the plans to rent some llamas. We're gonna go back. Um, go back a little ways and actually, um, you know, if you look at Mike's books, he's got 
he's got pictures of himself and Albert Ellis with these llamas. And I grew up reading those, those books, you know, and learning how to hunt. And so those pictures were like, okay, cool. Let's try it. Let's get some llamas. So he said, but first thing we're going to do is we're going to go in there and we're going to scout for a week. And we go in there and we, you know, we were expecting a little more cloud cover than what we got based on the forecast. And we had a full moon the entire time we were scouting at the very end of August. And it was rough. Um, it made scouting very tough. Like we only had animals coming out the last half hour of the day. And lo and behold, I found um, right at, you know, right at dark as, you know, Ike's looking off into the other base and I'm looking across and sure enough, we find these three mule deer bucks in actually the same spot that I found a really good buck last year. And we, I look and look and look, and we just couldn't get a good enough look at them to judge them. And so we go in the next day, and or we go down the hill the next day, and we watch for a while from a different spot, like looking kind of in the trees, hoping we can find them. But They'd kind of gone to where the strips of timber that they were hanging out in the night before or two nights before, they'd kind of gone down to where it, it butts up against some black timber. And that made it a little tough, you know. And so I never really got a good look at them on that scouting trip because it was so it was really low light and the angle that they were at, it was just tough to really judge them. I'm I'm pretty sure one was a 175 to 180 type buck, but I, I can't definitively say that by any stretch. And what we did then is I said, well, you know what? I can come in next weekend and I'll just pack in by myself and um, I'll, I'll look and see what, if I can find them because the full moon would be gone by then and we'll have a lot more glassing opportunity and time. And, I'll just come over and Ike had some other commitments he had to do. So I did this bonsai scouting trip. I drove over and I climbed the hill and I don't have the llamas. So I have to admit that when you have to hike in with all the stuff on your back and the week before you were using llamas that took all of the weight off your back kind of stinks just to be be candid. And so, um, I sent sent Ike a message. I was like, "This is terrible. I I hate life without llamas." As as weird as that may sound, but it's true. Those things can go in just about anywhere that a human can go. Those things can climb it. It's pretty ridiculous where they can go. And so I go and I get set up on the hill and I start glassing. And I've been glassing three and a half, four hours, and I've still not seen these deer that that um, that we scouted up the weekend before. I'm like, great, what am I going to do here? This is ridiculous. And so <clears throat> I never find them. And about, I, don't know, I think it was probably about 6.15-ish, this uh, pine grouse drops behind me. It's been in a tree the whole time I've been sitting there. I I never noticed it was there because I was so intent looking for these mule deer. And I'm aggravated. I'm not seeing any deer. Season's open for pine grouse. And I've got my small game license. I don't have a weapon that I could kill it with and not, like, make any noise. I've got a pistol, and that was it. And (laughs) I pick up a stick. And I start chasing it like all around my camp, trying to kill it. And 
And camp was 20 yards either way from my glassing spot. I had this nice little tucked in place where you couldn't, unless you actually climbed to the exact spot where it was sitting, you'd have no idea it was there. So perfect glassing location. And lo and behold, I go to kill this pine grouse. I throw to my stick. I miss it, completely miss it. Stick goes tumbling down, you know, a bunch of rocks. And I'm, I'm looking, I'm mad. I wanted pine grouse to go with my mountain house. And I look over on this hill about 800 yards away, and I see this white butt. And pull the binoculars up. Sure enough, there's a a really big deer over there, just tall, heavy. Um, but he's working his way across the hill, like he's fast feeding. Of course, I didn't have my spotting scope right at that moment, so I quick run back, grab my spotting scope, and run back across, get my spotting scope set up. And have enough time just to take a picture of his back and how high his antlers are in the middle of a tree. Like, I send that picture to Ike and he's like, what are you sending me? (laughs) (laughs) So I had to zoom it in close, circle it and be like, that's his antler tips. And he's a really tall buck. And so we're driving the next week down there and we've kind of changed our, our target. Like, but we said, okay. I could glass one side, I'll glass the other. We'll figure out which deer we find first and develop a game plan. And we're, we're sitting there and I find, I find three bucks and one of them is about a 170. These are three bucks I've not seen before. And then there's another decent four by four with a couple more years. He'll be a good buck. And then there's this, okay, little buck with them. And so I see them head down into the trees from uh, across the basin so I go get Ike and we watch them for a little bit and they, they go down in there and we say, like, okay, what are we going to do? And we've been sitting there a while and looking at the wind and we're like, I don't think, you know what? We just need to be patient and see if they come back out. Well, nine 30, three other deer pop out and they're a whole lot closer. And there's him, the, the really big buck that, that I'd seen the weekend before. And, on top of that, he is with a really nice typical, like just a, a, a beautiful, slick typical. And one of those bucks that you know he's big, but because he doesn't have like one fork that's like crabbier than the others or smaller than the others, he's really hard to judge. You know, it gives you a point of reference on him. Um, but, but the problem that he had was that he's with this really old, mature, bigger deer and so I'd have been happy with either of them, um, just to be, just to be candid, but I really wanted the tall one. And so we got a good look at both of them and kind of made the decision. All right, we're just going to sit here because they're, it's nine 30, they're staying up and they're working their way towards us. And so with them working their way towards us, we're like, well, do we want to move down? And we just kind of, neither of us felt right about moving down or trying to get in, like get a, get to a spot where we could shoot as they worked their way across this hill. Um, then we finally stopped seeing them in the trees. They just kind of stopped and bedded down for a while. And I, I happened to pull my glass up, you know, I kind of take breaks from glass. And while you're sitting there, I happened to pull my binoculars up and find, 
I don't know if he had just moved there and bedded down or had been kind of in a shadow where I couldn't see him, but I found this buck bedded down. I found the, the big typical and he, um, he just laid there for a while and we got a good look at him. And then, then as we kept looking, kept looking, we found the other two bucks and the, the third buck is just a young buck, but he is going to be a, um, he's going to be a, a stud in a couple years. Like there's not a doubt in my mind that he's going to be a stud in a few years. And so you've got this really tall, heavy, um, three by four, which is the one that I wanted. Then you've got the, the, the pretty typical, and then this up and comer and they're all working their way. And then they just stop and they disappear. And we see them kind of at the edge of the timber once. And then we make a decision. Well, we got to water the llamas and we got to go get water for ourselves. So I said, well, Ike, you stay here and watch them, you know, keep every like, and, and just keep tabs and I'll be back. Well, I wasn't going to be offended if Ike had to take a shot. Cause obviously we're filming. I wasn't going to be offended. You know, cause you just got to take your opportunities as they come. And so I go down, I filled up two drone dairy bags and we filled up an Everly stock dry bag with a, um, we forgot a giant water container for the, for the llamas. That was our plan is to stay put and just bring water with for the llamas. Cause they don't drink that much water. And so I go down and it took me two and a half, three hours to get the water and then come all the way back up on the way back up. I happened to look over at the other drainage where we had deer, found one of them. I haven't found those deer forever. And one of them's out at three in the afternoon, of course. And I'm like, well, I don't have time to look at you. I need to get you up. If I have to come back over here and look at these deer, well, that's fine. Um, but so I work my way up and I crest the hill, tie the llamas up and go to talk to Ike. And he's sitting on the gun. He's like right there. He's, he's really excited. And so he jumps off the gun, goes back to the camera to, to let me shoot. And he, um, he gets on and I'm still breathing really hard from climbing this hill. So it takes me a couple minutes. So I got set up on, um, on my swagger bipods and I got real comfortable with using them this year. And so got, got leaned in and real heavy, heavy shoulder in. And I just waited until I got my breathing right to stop. The deer wasn't moving. He was, you know, 400 yards below us. And I just took my time and I squeezed off when I was ready and hammered him with one shot. And he did the typical mule deer kick and, and jumped, you know, like where, where they, where they jump real high when they get hit. And he was dead before he hit the ground, but we couldn't see. Obviously we thought, you know, maybe he got a couple more steps but he left a big slide through all the grass where we could see when we recovered him that he slid down and we quick packed up all our camp and looked at everything and looked at the footage and like, Oh yeah, we definitely got a hit, but there's still that, you know, like until you recover the deer, you're nervous that you got it. And so we, we quick, you know, got rid of all or got all our stuff packed up and went down the hill all the way around and worked our, our way slow up to where we thought he should be. And Ike's running the camera and he's like, he looks over left at just the right angle through some trees. He's like, Scott, there he is. And he's laying there and it was really cool. But 
you know, we, again, we try and be authentic when we're capturing that first look. So he made, made me stay there and went, um, went over and got, got set up for when I'm going to pick the buck up and pick his head up. And he's just this, this heavy three by four, my best buck to date. And I'm, I'm thrilled with it because it's a buck I scouted. We spent the time up there and we, we put a lot of effort, you know, both Ike and I into this hunt and we were able to make it happen. And, you know, it's, it's pretty cool when you're, um, when your boss will go with you hunting and tells you to take the gun, you know, um, that's a, a pretty cool story when you've got somebody who's willing to do that. Um, because, you know, I like, like I said, I knew going down to get the water, that's a possibility. I might not, I might not shoot this animal because you have to take your opportunities when they're come, when they come, when, especially when you're filming it. And it was pretty cool that he waited for 20 minutes um, for me to get up there and get set up and get ready. So that's a, you know, there's a lot of good sportsmanship inside our office. And I really, you know, I really appreciate that. But then, you know, Ike is, you know, Ike has really, um, really been great to work for. And then getting to, you know, cap off a hunt like that, working with him and, and, and doing that was really, really a good experience. And then, also having someone there who's got a long history with mule deer who, um, you know, obviously like I read Mike's books and have a real appreciation for what, um, what Mike has, has done and taught the hunting world about mule deer, having someone there that you really respect their, their opinion of mule deer where that Scott, that's a big buck, you know, having that type of affirmation where it's not just a, well, I think he's a big buck, you know, it's like, it's it's a pretty cool experience to be able to talk about. I would say it says so much about the character of Ike. Like what a great guy to you know, and you too. You to take the take the time to go down and get water for the llamas and knowing that that you know Ike may shoot that big buck and that's going to be your guys' story and and you're there together as a team. And I think that's what makes the best hunting partners is when you're there for a team and you share in in your buddy's success and he shares in yours and, and uh, for you to go down and get the water and then Ike to, to see that buck come out. He's in rifle range. Ike is down on that buck and waits for, for 20 minutes for you to crest the hill and then puts you on the rifle. It, it just says so much about him and so much about mm-hmm. you. And, and like you say, the, the sportsmanship in the office and in the friendship in the office too. I, I mean, that just means the world to me. When I I had my buddy yeah. Dan give me the stock on a on a big six point bull this year. It, it just absolutely means the world to me when he does something like that because I know how bad he wants that bull for himself too, and, and how he's set these goals yep. and he's worked hard all year. But you know he turns to me and says, "Brian, that's your bull. You better you better go make a stock on that thing. He's in the perfect spot." Um, that just like you, you, you almost want to repay those guys back tenfold. Like the next ten opportunities are his, but it it just means so much to have those friendships in the woods. But it it really says a lot about about you and Ike and what a cool hunt and what a a heck of a buck, just deep forked and heavy and just a beautiful high country mule deer. Um, you sure killed a nice one, Scott. I I'm beyond thrilled. His fronts are ridiculous. Like, ridiculous. Yeah, like I don't know how to like we, we've got footage where I where I turn it towards it, but on his on the side with four, you can see that like it's almost all level. Like 
and his he's got good and good back on that side and you can just see that they're almost all level like he's that tall you know and so it's pretty stinking cool that he's he's just the he's everything you'd want in a mule deer and you know like yeah lots of guys say score isn't everything and and i agree you want but let's be honest every one of us wants a deer that scores well but to have a to have a mule deer three by four that scores well, I'll take that every single day of the week. You know, it's just it's just a cool thing to accomplish and to do. And I'm I'm pretty pretty excited to be able to put this buck on my wall. Um, he's gonna go up here in my office. I'm I may have to rearrange some things because of the the space that he's gonna take and the things I've already got on the wall. Um, but I'm okay. So <laughs> I would say um, good for you. Well, and the whole story behind it, like the the hunt, the way it plays out, it it uh, it adds to the experience, you know, of taking that buck and in taking them where you did in the high country. You scouted that buck. Um, you scouted the locations, made multiple trips in there. And then, like you say, to go in with a good buddy, Ike, and team up together and and uh, sit on the rifle. And also, you you played it right being patient, too. Um, yeah. A lot of times, you dive out, you dive off on, you know, to try to get onto those bucks. And those bucks, like we're talking about, living in slick areas, they live in places where those directional winds will will float over the top and then you know they're they're getting all those they're swirling over the top and so mm-hmm. to try to get within 150 200 yards it's not always feasible where those bucks live and so um yeah setting up in a good location playing it patient waiting to get eyes on them you know seeing them bed in the timber and still not jumping the gun and running down there trying to shoot them in the timber you, you just played everything right which um which definitely adds to the hunt and adds to the experience. Uh, you played it perfect and killed a heck of a nice buck. Um, and, and in your home state and in the high country, it doesn't get any better than that, man. Oh, it doesn't. And it's, and it's fun. I mean, it's, uh, it's a great experience. It was a great, it's been a great year. And this, I, I don't say this lightly, but cause we've had some good years, but this might be one of the better years we've had in our office in quite a while. Um, and, it, and it's not like it, we've had a bad year recently by any stretch, but you know, you've, you've killed a few animals already, got them on the board. And then Brandon killed a, a bull. That's just an absolute stud. I, I killed my best buck to date. Um, I've, you know, uh, Dan Picard's killed two bulls already. And so we're, you know, that's doing really well. Jordan's had a great year. Um, gotten a lot of pictures from Guy and Ike themselves already. Um, in fact, I've, I've heard some uh, rumors about some pretty good mule deer that have already um, already hit the ground. I'll make sure when I get off the phone, I send you the picture of Ike's. I've I haven't gotten the picture of guys yet, but they they did pretty well here in Wyoming too. So we've got some you know <laughs> just a really really good year, which is just cool to see and it's fun to be a fun to be a part of and, and always fun when you get these new um, get these new text messages because that means somebody killed something, you know. So it's pretty cool to be a part of those strings. Oh, it's so cool! I've seen bears come across my feed, antelope, and yeah, for a while there, it seemed like I was getting a text a day. I thought, is that the same one? Oh, it's a different one, you know. But yeah, it's so fun to be a part of and to oh, yeah. to to share in. And boy, do we have some great episodes for for hunting TV and Beyond the Grid. Um, it, it's going to be really cool to see those put together here in the next year or so. 
Yes, it is. It's going to be very cool to see what um, what content we put out and what gets used where and the stories that we get to tell. And I, I'm excited. I haven't, um, you know, like I get pretty excited about the content that we're putting out, but this is some of the most excited I'll say that I've been about our content in a couple of years. So. Oh, me too. Yeah, I am so stoked at the content I've been able to gather just thus far, you know, this season and, and then to see everybody else's come through. Uh, yeah, it's just been amazing. But yeah, congratulations again, Scott. Man, thanks for taking the time and being on the podcast again. It's so fun to hear that story and how it played out, both the Brandon's Bowl and your buck. And uh, yeah, couldn't be more excited for you guys. Uh, it's just awesome to see. So thanks again, man. Hey, I appreciate it, and uh, good luck with the rest of your elk season. I know it's uh, I know it's been a little bit uh, crazy this year with all the people you've been helping, but it'll come back around. Oh, absolutely. It always does. Yeah, it's been a great season, bunch of close encounters, experience the rut. I have no complaints. No, it's been super. But, yeah, thanks, Scott. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Yep, sounds good. Thanks, Brian. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Uh, another one in the books, a uh, really fun conversation with Scott. Like I say, I don't get to sit down and talk hunting with Scott for an hour very often. And so, uh, fun to catch up. Um, boy, he, he was, was dedicated this, this year and, and, uh, discipline and put in the time scouting and found some good bucks and then able to capitalize during the rifle season. Um, just really fun to see his success and sharing his success, um, on a giant muley. I know it means the world to him. It's a big, deep fork. Um, hopefully we'll use the picture as a promo for this podcast so you guys can see it. But yeah, just a heck of a deep fork, heavy old buck. So um, super pumped for him. I gave him the shot as we talked about in the podcast, waited for him to get back up with the water for the llamas, got him back down on the rifle. So Scott got to shoot his buck. So, um, you know, Karma just favors uh, that t- type of guy, like uh, Ike giving him the shot, and and um, you know it was Scott's season, and he had scouted and kind of his spot, but you know I could have shot that buck, but that karma letting your buddy and helping your buddy get a good buck, and and uh, they both shared in the success, which is amazing, and then um, Ike just had a good karma cloud following him around from that deal and multiple other dealings. You know he's just a good person in general, but then he was able to. Uh, Harvest a nice buck in Wyoming. I saw he, he killed just a, a really dandy, heavy, mature buck. So um, pump for Ike. Um, good karma there. And we talked about Brandon Mason and his bull. So um, pretty cool there. And um, yeah, the, the uh, Eastman's were just having a great season this year. Uh, everybody at the office and, and um, it, it's really fun. I got some really good content coming out for the next year. I was looking through for some pictures for um, an article that I'm writing. And God, I just got so many good pictures. I mean, having a, a good cameraman like Logan follow me around on a couple, two, three hunts um, just makes for hundreds and hundreds of, of killer photos. And, and not to mention the ones I took you know, a buddies and, and myself out hunting. So, um, super stoked to start sharing that content with you guys. Um, also want to thank Taito knives for sponsoring the podcast. Again, just ultra sharp, ultra, ultra lightweight knife. Um, it's just changed the game is the way I process deer and I process elk. I can do it all with one knife. Um, usually one to two blades. Elk usually take me a couple blades deer. I can do with one fresh blade, but, um, Man, they just make short work. I mean, I can I can butcher and bone out an elk. I know I'm under an hour. Deer, 
you know, I'm probably under a half an hour. It just goes so quick when you when you have that sharp blade. So um, they're a game changer. Make sure to check them out. Taito Knives. Yeah, and with that, um, just getting ready for this trip with my daughter. That's going to be a fun one. And, um, man, I'm getting pumped at um, burning the, the midnight oil to try to kill a buck um, with my bow. I got that Montana tag, and I did pick up that Idaho tag, too. I'm hoping I can kind of finish this house and maybe have a week of free time to get down there. But, you know, there's no guarantees. I got a lot of work to get done, um, not only this house, but other jobs and I've been working weekends here lately. I should have gone last weekend. It's such a good weekend for mule deer. The rut's just kicking off. Such good dates, but I just, yeah, I I got responsibilities and um, you know, I had committed to a couple of these jobs and I just I just had to finish them off. I you know my um, I had to work all weekend and evenings last week. I mean, I'm working 12-hour days. Um, you know, trying to get done with carpentry work, work in that house as much as I can, and then at night trying to finish these other ones. So, um, yeah, just working hard, playing catch-up, um, but, you know, totally worth it. I, I got all these crazy cool adventures and a bunch of free time and days off work to just go chase my dreams in that early season in Colorado, Nevada, Alaska, and so uh, I'm just super fortunate, and so um, yeah, if I gotta work hard for a little bit to make some deadlines and um, do right by people, then that's what I gotta do, so a um, little bit of a bummer I wasn't hunting mule deer last weekend, but I, I got a few weekends to come, and I've kind of checked off this this side work off my list, and so I think I can finally be gone Saturdays and Sundays here for a little bit. So um, starts off this weekend with my daughter. The next weekend is going to be just money dates for mule deer. I'm so stoked to go hunt them. Um, so, yeah, we're going to go have some fun and just going to keep after them, and, you know, either I'll I'll find the buck I want, or if not, I'm going to have fun trying and uh, covering country and bonsai trips, and, and this is what I cut my teeth doing, you know, working carpentry for a lot of those years, working for guys I had one week a year, and then you start your own business, and you think you're going to have more free time, and it seemed like I had less. You just, um, you're just so fortunate to own your own business and work for yourself that, you know, you got same thing. You got these commitments that you make and these jobs you take. And when you take a job building a house for somebody, it, it's like the it, it's the most important purchase of their life. Um, they're going to spend more money than they've ever spent, and they're trusting you with building their dream home. And so you just got this responsibility where you can't you can't just jet out and say, you know, I'm I'm going hunting, you know, and I. Now in in uh, these later years, you know, I've been able to have somebody cover for me, and it's it's worked well. But in those beginning years, you know, I we were a, a two man team. It was dad and I, you know, and, and um and a lot of times we were working two jobs at once, and so you just you, we just couldn't, you know, I couldn't be gone. I had to be there, and so I started my own business and almost had less free time. But the point is, is I cut my teeth being a weekend warrior, um, only hunting weekends and getting after it, and um. For a lot of us, that's all we have, you know. So, um, yeah, just back to my roots and go for it here and, and uh, have some fun and, and uh, get my responsibilities done. And you just – it's a it's a balance in life. But I'm rambling now. It's um, It's been a heck of a season. Um, it was a great episode with Scott. sure appreciate him being on. Some good episodes coming up, man. I'm going to keep working hard on this podcast to getting you guys good content. Um, you know, I want you guys to be successful and, and, um, uh, public lands is a commitment. And, um, if you commit yourself to it, 
you know, you're 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 on a journey and you're on a, a path to success and, and it doesn't always come right away. Like sometimes it's it's delayed and it takes keep working at it. But, um, you know, it, anything that you you put your heart and soul in in life, you know, you will be successful at and backcountry hunting's no different. Um, so yeah, just going to keep trying to get on good guests and bring you guys good content. But, uh, thanks as always guys for, for the support. I sure appreciate it. Support on the podcast. Um, yeah, that's a wrap. I'll, uh, check in with you guys next week.